Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Brad Niger is a professor and is the chair of the Department of Health Science. He received bachelor's and master's degrees in health science from Brigham Young University and his doctorate in health education from the University of Utah. Professor Niger worked in public health for 13 years prior to his tenure at BYU. He was the director of health promotion at the Davis County Health Department and the director of the Bureau of Health Promotion at the Utah Department of Health. He served as president of both the Utah Public Health Association and the Health Education Association of Utah. In 2003, he was awarded the Catherine Summerhays Award as the Outstanding Health Educator in Utah. Brother Niger currently teaches gospel doctrine in his home ward. He and his wife, Sherry, are the parents of three children. And now we have the opportunity to hear from Brother Brad Niger. A number of years ago, I taught evening classes for the University of Utah at the old Stoker School in Bountiful. After class one winter night, I walked outside and found myself in the middle of a heavy snowfall. As I trudged to my black Subaru station wagon, arms full of class materials, I discovered the lock on my door was frozen. After numerous failed attempts, I moved to the passenger door only to experience the same result. The best idea I could muster under the circumstances was to heat the locks, hence my professional pursuit of health and not engineering. I walked to the nearby house of some friends and borrowed a candle and some matches. But to my dismay, this effort failed as well. Though I could insert the key, I could not coax it sideways. By now, the night was growing late, and I was becoming increasingly cold and tired. Most of the other cars were gone, and I found myself nearly alone in the parking lot. As I stood there, something interesting caught my eye. A few rows over from the car I was so ingeniously trying to enter was my black Subaru station wagon. (laughs) After seeing my car, I was relieved on three counts. I could now drive home, there was no damage done to the other Subaru, and the owner didn't show up while I was attempting to torch his lock. This experience has long served as a personal reminder that in this life we can be drawn to things that squander our time, energy, and light without moving us toward a meaningful end. Still, the way home is straight and narrow, and it is vital to know the difference between something that helps us return and something that deflects or restrains our progress. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, Someday, when we look back on mortality— we will see that so many of the things that seem to matter so much at the moment will be seen not to have mattered at all, and the eternal things will be seen to have mattered even more than the most faithful of the saints imagined. Over the last few years, I have become increasingly interested in a verse of Scripture I believe may be one of the eternal things referred to by Elder Maxwell. It has helped define my path and purpose and direction home. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 43, verse 9, the Lord declares, And thus ye shall become instructed in the law of my church, and be sanctified by that which ye have received, 
and ye shall bind yourselves to act in all holiness before me. Our personal holiness appears to be important to the Lord. In the 20th and 21st sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, we are also commanded to walk in holiness. In section 87, we are commanded to stand in holy places. As we receive saving gospel ordinances and make and keep covenants, our hope in the Savior is that someday we will be sanctified or made holy. Elder M. Russell Ballard taught, We seek to have our lives sanctified, purified, and cleansed to the point where we can be found worthy to walk into the presence of our Heavenly Parents and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. While sanctification requires our diligence, it is made possible only through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Though this may seem daunting or distant, acting in holiness now will help lead us to our eventual sanctification. In a recent General Conference, President James E. Faust explained that holiness in part is achieved by conforming to God's will. To conform is to be in agreement or harmony and to be obedient or compliant. This suggests that to act in holiness or to conform as expected, a person turns his or her heart and life over to the Lord and is willing to do whatever is asked regardless of the circumstances. Fittingly, Elder Quentin L. Cook taught that holiness is exemplified by consecration and sacrifice. Finally, in his Doctrine and Covenants Encyclopedia, Hoyt Brewster states, One who walks in holiness walks in concert with Christ and has the companionship of the Spirit. One who walks in holiness eschews anything that is sordid and sinful. So it appears to me that to act in holiness is to conform ourselves to the Lord's will as directed by the Holy Ghost. This implies we have turned away from the world and have become pure to the extent we are worthy to be led by the Spirit. This process seems to be reflected in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 46, verse 7. And that which the Spirit testifies unto you, even so I would that ye should do in all holiness of heart, walking uprightly before me, considering the end of your salvation. The challenge in addressing a topic like holiness is to avoid communicating a holier-than-thou attitude or giving the impression I am further along the path than is really the case. When Albert Einstein arrived at Princeton in 1935, he was asked what supplies he would need for his work. He replied, a desk, some pads and a pencil, and a large wastebasket to hold all of my mistakes. My family, friends, colleagues, and acquaintances know too well that I have much work ahead in my personal quest for holiness. To them, I express gratitude for patience, kindness, and forgiveness. But despite our unique challenges, our struggles with sin, and real or imagined inadequacies, our opportunity to act in holiness before the Lord is His invitation to separate ourselves from the world, to be worthy of the Spirit, and to consecrate ourselves to His will and to His cause. During my service as a bishop, I had the opportunity to conduct tithing settlement. It was always a highlight to visit with the members of the ward during the Christmas season. With permission, I share one such experience. One Sunday afternoon, a faithful family came to the office to make their declarations. A side note to this story is that the father, an honorable and well-educated man, had lost his employment months earlier due to no fault of his own. Severance pay and savings eventually wore thin, and the family was doing its best to make ends meet. 
Earlier in the day, my counselors had invited both the Relief Society sisters and priesthood brethren to consider contributing to a Christmas fund we had established to help some of our ward members. After returning home from church, the good mother, undoubtedly influenced by the Spirit, told her children about our request and encouraged them to contribute. The parents had a few dollars remaining in their modest budget and decided to donate it to the fund. The oldest daughter, a devout and sensitive 17-year-old who had previously helped make a monthly payment for her brother's mission, brought what money she had available from her part-time job. The youngest daughter, a sweet and conscientious 13-year-old, brought her babysitting money. With emotion in his eyes and obvious love and appreciation for his family, the father handed over their collective contribution. Then all family members declared themselves full tithe payers. In retrospect, I was witness to an act of holiness. This family was an example of what it means to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Ghost and to comply. The spirit I felt in that office was nearly overwhelming. Is there anything more desirable than the spirit we feel at those moments in life when we act in accordance with the Lord's will? For this reason alone, we should be in perpetual motion toward holiness. The blessings associated with acting in holiness cannot be overstated. Acting in holiness allows us to simultaneously worship our Father in heaven while developing the divine attributes of the Savior. In turn, we enjoy the companionship of the Holy Ghost and feel a measure of joy that cannot be found in any worldly pursuit. Acting in holiness is a conduit for joy. Indeed, the path of holiness is the path of happiness. To act in holiness ultimately fulfills the measure of our creation in leading us to the Savior and to our justification and sanctification. Embracing the prospect of holiness is important for all of us. After all, the celestial kingdom will be filled with holy people. People who act in holiness radiate light and are an example to those around them. We are drawn to these people because of the inspiration and strength they provide. In the words of C.S. Lewis, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. With a desire to elevate our commitment to act in holiness and feel the sustaining spirit and strength of such actions, I respectfully offer three suggestions for our individual and collective pursuits. First, consider the possibility of consciously elevating holiness as a daily priority. In the College of Health and Human Performance, we have been reading and discussing the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Collins attributes the success of companies that have gone from good to great in part to what he calls adherence to the hedgehog concept. Citing Isaiah Berlin, Collins states, The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. Day in and day out, the fox circles around the hedgehog's den, waiting for the perfect moment to pounce. Fast, sleek, beautiful, fleet of foot, and crafty, the fox looks like the sure winner. The hedgehog, on the other hand, is a dowdier creature, looking like a genetic mix-up between a porcupine and a small armadillo. The fox waits in cunning silence at the juncture of the trail. The hedgehog, minding his own business, wanders right into the path of the fox. He leaps out, bounding across the ground lightning fast. Rolling up into a perfect little ball, the hedgehog becomes a sphere of sharp spikes pointing outward in all directions. 
the fox sees the defense and calls off the attack. Each day, some version of this battle between the hedgehog and the fox takes place, and despite the greater cunning of the fox, the hedgehog always wins. Collins, again quoting Berlin, states, Foxes pursue many ends at the same time and see the world in all its complexity, never integrating their thinking into a single organizing idea or concept that unifies and guides everything. Hedgehogs, on the other hand, simplify a complex world into a single organizing idea. For a hedgehog, anything that does not somehow relate to the, uh, the hedgehog idea holds no relevance. If we are to act in holiness in a way that is consistent enough for the Lord's service and our own good, we will likely need to apply a hedgehog-type mentality to our daily routine. To the extent possible, acting in holiness needs to become a deliberate daily focus that guides our thinking and behavior. I am not suggesting that we attempt to will ourselves to holiness independent of the Lord. As stated in a visiting teaching message years ago, holiness requires continuing consecrated efforts and is achieved one thought and one act at a time. It requires faith in Christ so pervasive that our lives begin to reflect His. If I am serious about acting in holiness, I will rely upon the enabling power of the Atonement to strive for purity, then be wise enough and strong enough to choose the right and resist anything that is inconsistent with the Lord's will. When I fall short, holiness dictates that I rely on the redeeming power of the Atonement and repent responsibly and appropriately. Acting in holiness requires vigilance so as not to be distracted by the cares of the world. According to Elder M. Russell Ballard, our main goal should be to seek immortality and eternal life. With this as our goal, why not eliminate from our lives the things that clamor for and consume our thoughts, feelings, and energies without contributing to our reaching that goal? A second suggestion that may help us act in holiness is found in the 38th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. In verse 24, the Lord states, And let every man esteem his brother as himself and practice virtue and holiness before me. I believe the word practice, as used in this verse, describes the Lord's expectation that we perform or carry out holiness. However, the idea of practicing holiness as we would practice playing the piano or practice a golf swing is intriguing to me. You've probably heard about the tourist in New York City who approaches a native on the street and asks, Can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? The New Yorker replies, Practice, man. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> I recently read an article by Alan Medinger who addressed this idea of practicing holiness. My thoughts are influenced by his work. The idea of practice or doing something positive rather than avoiding something negative is a liberating concept. For example, if you have a problem criticizing others, don't wait until you're enticed to criticize. Rather, look for opportunities to practice holiness by being more fair and open-minded with people. Practice defending the integrity of people in a genuine way. If dishonesty is a challenge for you, don't wait until you're tempted to be deceitful. Practice acting in holiness by telling the truth in all circumstances. To practice implies we are active in a process of improvement in something of personal value. It is a bit like inoculation theory in my discipline of health education. 
we train people to practice positive life choices in safe settings so when they are confronted with challenges in difficult real-life settings, they are more confident in their ability. Acting from a position of strength rather than weakness allows us to emulate the Savior instead of waiting tentatively for the next bout of temptation and struggle with sin. In this sense, we are proactive in turning away from the world and establishing our personal purity. At the age of 95, cellist Pablo Casals was asked why he was still practicing six hours a day. His response was, because I think I'm still improving. Michael Jordan said it this way, I approach practices the same way I approach games. I can't turn it on and off like a faucet. You can't dog it during practice and then, when you need that extra push late in the game, expect it to be there. But that's how a lot of people approach things, and that's why a lot of people fail. They sound like they're committed to being the best they can be. They say all the right things, make all the proper appearances, but when it comes right down to it, they are looking for reasons instead of answers. To practice holiness implies we are moving in the right direction. Still, it will probably be a work in progress for most of us. There will be starts and stops and maybe even some skid marks. For example, a few weeks ago I slipped away from my office to find something for lunch. As I approached the entrance of a local restaurant, I noticed what appeared to be a mother and her three children entering just ahead of me. One of the little girls stayed behind. Here was this cute little three- or four-year-old in pigtails, using all her strength to keep the door open for me. I was impressed with this act of kindness and self-sacrifice and thanked her appropriately. I quickly ordered my food and sat down at a table that happened to be next to this family. The mother brought a large drink to the table and returned to the counter to wait for her food. The same little girl who held the door open for me was seated at the table with her younger brother, who was in a booster seat. The little brother was becoming increasingly upset because he could not reach the drink. His big sister, however, had no trouble reaching the drink and took a long sip that seemed to aggravate the brother even more. His, dis his displeasure lasted until the mother finally returned with his food. I found it interesting that within minutes, this endearing little girl acted so kindly to me but was completely oblivious to the needs of her little brother. And so it is with us. We may act in holiness one moment and struggle with it the next. However, displaying flashes of holiness means we are capable of so much more. Where there is a flicker of light, there can be steady radiance. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, That which we persist in doing becomes easier, not that the task itself has become easier, but that our ability to perform it has improved. We can practice acting in holiness in so many ways, whether we are by ourselves or in the service of others. Reading the scriptures more thoughtfully or offering prayers that are more heartfelt or fasting in a way that is more acceptable to the Lord all represent movements toward holiness. To the person who may be involved with sin or immobilized by guilt, repenting and moving to the light is an act toward holiness. How we treat others and what we say to them or about them are great practice fields for holiness. Winston Churchill said, By swallowing evil words unsaid, no one has ever harmed his stomach. Reaching out to people with more kindness, being respectful of those around us, and learning to love those we home and visit teach all represent practice opportunities. A third suggestion closely related to the idea of practicing holiness 
is becoming more mindful of the moments in our lives that represent opportunities to act in holiness. This reminds me of a conversation between Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. Piglet says, It would be better not to wait to the last minute, Pooh. Yes, Piglet, but I never seem to know when the last minute is. There are so many minutes. Elder Maxwell said, Moments are the molecules that make up eternity. Likewise, President Gordon B. Hinckley has said, It is not so much the major events as the small day-to-day decisions that map the course of our living. Music, television, movies, and the Internet, or the collective media so pervasive in our lives can greatly affect our personal purity. We must be especially careful here. We can live close to the Spirit and comply with the Lord's will in other things and in a moment offend the Spirit because of our personal choices in media. We all have to be conscious of what we are doing throughout our daily lives and measure our activities against the Lord's standard of holiness. Namely, is this activity inviting or offending the Spirit? And what would Jesus have us do in this setting and circumstance? We are blessed with moments and decisions every day that represent opportunities to act in holiness, to think and speak and act according to the Lord's will. President Brigham Young said, Every moment of my life must be holiness to the Lord, resulting from equity, justice, mercy, and uprightness in all my actions, which is the only course by which I can preserve the Spirit of the Almighty to myself. A fairly recent email from our missionary son reported on a series of incidents related to a family in Uruguay. The mother was not a member, and while the father was baptized at age 11, he had been less active for years. There were two boys in the family, a 14-year-old and a 6-year-old. The 14-year-old had been baptized one year earlier. During that year, he attended church every week by himself and did not miss a single day of seminary. He constantly looked for ways to share the gospel with his friends. Every Sunday, he stayed after church to fulfill his duties as a teacher in the Aaronic Priesthood, cleaning the sacrament table and trays. As a result of his faithfulness, his mother felt prompted to listen to the message of the missionaries, one of whom was my son. As her testimony of the gospel grew, her husband began to feel the tugs of the Spirit and decided to accompany his wife and children to church. Within weeks, the mother was baptized, and the father began asking what would be required to take his family to the temple in Montevideo. One Sunday before the mother was baptized, my son and his companion were sitting with this family at church. My son looked at the 14-year-old and recounted he had a smile on his face from ear to ear. I wonder if my son could keep from thinking that this was a young man who was acting in holiness before the Lord and reaping the associated blessings. President Samuelson has said, We need to have the faith and capacity to move forward with the knowledge that when we are doing the right things in the right way, even when we face difficulties and challenges, we can expect and rely on blessings from heaven. This young man was in the right place at the right time doing the right things. He was making the most of every opportunity to act in holiness. I am grateful for examples like this 14-year-old who inspire me to go and do likewise. Acting in holiness is not an easy proposition. As we leave the building today, we will eventually experience stress or anger or a variety of other emotions that threaten the delicate balance in our worthiness to be led by the Holy Ghost. 
It requires heart to act in holiness when we feel tired, hurt, or mistreated. Eliza R. Snow understood this when she said, It is no trifling thing to be a saint. In certain circumstances, we may be required to give much. On the night of December 29, 1876, the Pacific Express, a two-engine, 11-car train, was heading west through Ohio during a heavy snowstorm. Among the passengers and crew on board were Philip Bliss and his wife Lucy. Philip Bliss was a Christian songwriter and gospel singer. He had married Lucy 17 years earlier after coming to love her for her Christian virtues. At approximately 7.30 p.m., while crossing a trestle bridge over the Ashtabula River, the bridge collapsed, sending the 11 rail cars 75 feet to the river below. As water pressed up from the broken ice, the wooden cars heated by kerosene stoves ignited. According to an eyewitness, as reported in the Chicago Tribune the next day, when the train fell, Mr. Bliss freed himself and succeeded in crawling through a window. He turned around to pull his wife free, but found she was pinned in the ironwork of the seats. Rather than escape, he devotedly stayed by her side in an attempt to free her before they were both engulfed and consumed in the flames. Ninety other people were killed or later died in the Ashtabula River Railroad disaster, the worst such incident in American history to that point in time. You may be interested to know that although not a Latter-day Saint, three of Philip Bliss's songs appear in our current hymn book. We sang one of them together this morning, More Holiness Give Me. At undoubtedly the most stressful moment of his life, Mr. Bliss lived his lyrics. Of course, the Savior's atonement in the garden and on the cross represents the supreme example of holiness under stress. This is all the more reason for us to act in holiness. Each time we do so, we express our loyalty and love to our Father in heaven and demonstrate our faith and hope in and reverence, appreciation, and gratitude for His Holy Son. Again, our commitment to to holiness appears to be very important to the Lord. Of all the doctrines or exhortations that could have been used as a conclusion to the Book of Mormon, I find it interesting that Moroni describes the process of holiness. Consider these words in that context. Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. And again, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ and deny not his power, then are ye sanctified in Christ by the grace of God through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the covenant of the Father, unto the remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. I believe we are placed on this earth to be sanctified. The Lord has declared that his work in glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. As we focus more consciously on acting in holiness, and make it a habit of practice while becoming more mindful of the moments and opportunities in our lives, then rely on the enabling and redeeming power of the Atonement, 
Our hope is that the Savior will eventually sanctify us and make us pure and holy. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 60, verse 7, the Savior assures us by stating, I am able to make you holy. May we move together in our best efforts to act in holiness before the Lord and then feel the joy reserved for those who honor Him and love Him is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.